We were certainly driven by fear. <laughs> I mean, who wasn't scared uh, back then? Um, but we were also driven with, you know, a sense of optimism that, you know, we could we could do something that would make a difference. Um, we had, you know, the infrastructure in place to take advantage of that. Um, and we believe in ourselves enough to, to make it happen. Hello, everybody. David Donaldson here again with another episode of Entrepreneurial Impact along with my associate, Joseph Martin. And I'm really excited because we're going to do something a little different today. The last couple of weeks have been in the balance of Joe and I, uh, some of our real estate business owners. Today, we step outside of the real estate world and we focus on entrepreneurial in a different arena. And with us today, we have our friend Chris Burns of Old Ox Brewery here in Ashburn, Virginia. Chris, welcome aboard to Entrepreneurial Impact. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Joe. Looking forward to uh, chatting today. So we were talking about earlier that all of our entrepreneurs, that there's a reason they are where they are, right? Everybody has an entrepreneurial spirit, but some have it organically, some have it thrust upon them. How did you get here? Where did Old Ox come from and how did Chris and his business partners get to where they are today? Um, well, the entrepreneurial spirit has kind of been ingrained in my family since I was a kid. Uh, my parents started a desktop publishing business from their basement uh, when I was in kindergarten. And I got to see that from uh, the, the childhood perspective, uh, being able to see that uh, my parents did that so that they could have the flexibility to be there for us um, as they were trying to make their mark um, in in their business, uh, uh, you know, pursuits. Um, so they were successful, but they were always there for every little league game, um, every PTA meeting. Um, and I thought that was really fantastic. Um, and as I uh, started my own family, I, I realized very quickly that I wanted to be able to do the same thing for for my family. You know, I want to be there for every hockey game. Uh, I want to be there, not so much for the PTA meetings. Those are kind of boring, <laughs> but I, I do it anyway. Um, but um, but so personally, that that's kind of how we got started. And then you know, from why, uh, why beer, why old ox? Um, well, why not? Again, it, it, and why not? Yeah, exactly. Right. It's beer. It's fun. Um, but my dad, um, again, kind of, uh, dragged me, honestly, kicking and screaming into the hobby of, of home brewing. Um, this is, you know, 15 years ago. Um, he invited me over to his house one day and, um, he said, uh, why don't you help me uh, brew this batch of IPA? I could really use some help. And I said, I don't think so, Dad. That doesn't really sound like my thing. Um, but he convinced me. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I got into it immediately. It was, um, it was really cool to see the way that uh, beer uh, could satisfy both halves of your brain. So you could be as analytical and scientific-minded as, as you had the aptitude to be, but you could also be uh, creative, uh, with, uh, with your beer styles, with, with your beer names, with your artwork. And it was 
really fantastic to see that you could satisfy both have your brain with one hobby. And it, it was a lot of fun to use that hobby as a way to keep the family together. So the brewing process is like a five hour process and there's a lot of um, waiting around. There's a lot of inactive time uh, during your brew day. So we'd get together um, and, uh, and brew some beer uh, drink some beer and use it as a way to kind of catch up on family events. And it got to the point where the hobby got out of control. My, uh, my garage, you know, looked like a scene out of Breaking Bad. Uh, the neighbors would slow down, uh, wondering what the heck we were doing in there. And, uh, you know, eventually we were making enough beer where we, uh, decided that maybe we should stop giving it away to all our, our friends and start trying to, to sell it. Uh, so, that is the uh, the short ish version of what got me into beer. So you I got to oh, go ahead, Joe. You go. I got a question. What was the one thing that was the most challenging that you didn't see as a hurdle, and then what was like a unforeseen positive or win that you didn't see coming? Does that make sense? Yeah. The well during the startup journey, the. Um, the biggest hurdle we had to face back in, we, we started business planning back in 2012. We, we actually opened our doors in 2014. So we've been operational for about eight years now. Um, but during startup, the biggest challenge that we had was finding a space that met the needs of our business plan. So we knew from day negative 640 that we wanted to be a distribution brewery. We wanted to um, provide beer out in the market uh, for grocery stores, for bars and restaurants. And in order to, to facilitate that, we knew that we needed a relatively large space. Uh, we knew that it needed to be kind of an industrial space. Um, and we thought that that was going to be a pretty easy thing to find. And it ended up taking us about 18 months to to actually find space. We had purchased equipment. We had equipment in storage for 18 months um, <clears throat> outside in a storage yard in New Jersey, right as Hurricane Sandy <laughs> came through, by the way. So we were terrified that our, our, our equipment was gonna float out to sea. Um, but finding the space was, uh, was the most difficult part. And the interesting thing about that is that one of the challenges was finding space where the neighbors wanted us around. And you don't, you don't see that as much now, but back in, you know, 2013, uh, there was a perception that having a brewery in your industrial park was going to bring an undesirable element, uh, that you were basically opening a bar and that just simply wasn't the, the case. Um, and then, you know, as far what we thought was going to be, um, one of our biggest challenges during startup ended up being you know, basically the easiest thing that, that we ever did. And that was finding the right head brewer to get us started in our business. Because we knew coming from our, our home brewing background um, that while we had some really great recipes and we were really creative and we had, had pretty decent entrepreneurial skills to get this thing going, what we didn't have was a background in uh, brewing at this type of scale. We're, we're talking about going from, you know, a five to 10 gallon homebrew setup to you know, brewing 930 gallons at a time. Um, so you need a whole bunch of different skill sets than we had. You need quality control, you need safety, 
Um, you need production management. So trying to find that person we thought was going to be a huge uh, challenge. And it just so happened that um, just based on the timing uh, that we were looking for our, our person, we, we found somebody within two days and it was, and he was great. Look at that. You planned for the whole process, right? And some things took longer than anticipated and other things, but because of the planning that you put in place, the timeline came together in a different way, but you found the right who, right? We talk a lot about oh, yeah. that who, right? That That's that driving force, right? Yeah, who is absolutely uh, critical in any successful endeavor, making sure you've got the right team around you. Now, it's an interesting, I think back to the beginning, you were saying, you know, your, your parents had it, right? Your dad, either desktop publishing, and then there's a transition, and then you were out on your own. But even though you grew up around it, and you said he had kind of had to drag you into it a little bit. So even though you grew up around it, you didn't necessarily have it, right? So what was that transition like for you? Because it sounds like you well, fought it a little bit. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think that... Um, it's really easy to um, to feel warm and cozy in your your blanket of safety in uh, your your corporate job, right? Which is where I was. I, I had a really great uh, corporate job um, that was paying the bills, and I liked the work. I liked the people I worked with, but you you just start um, getting this this pull, like you said, and it, it was, I, I felt like I was at a point where it was just going to get harder and harder to start something of my own the longer I waited. And we were at a point in our lives, I was, uh, you know, early 30s, kids were, were young enough where, you know, if the worst happened, then I had time to recover. And I felt like the longer I waited, the less true that was going to be. So uh, eventually I, I ripped off that, uh, that, that corporate safety blanket and, and gave it a go. And from my perspective, I had to do that from about eight months before we got started. It wasn't a scenario where I was going to be able to keep my corporate job and um, go out and do this. It, it, it was just going to take too much energy and time. It wouldn't have been fair to uh, my customers, it wouldn't have been fair to my, my bosses. And I was in a position where, you know, I have um, my family who has just been an amazing support system along this journey. Um, you know, my wife still has her corporate job and is, uh, is still providing amazing things like insurance uh, for the family <laughs> and stability. And, uh, you know, we, I just couldn't have done it without my family, especially my wife. That's important, right? You know, doing it alone uh, is one yeah. thing. Doing it with the support structure. And like you said, your dad's interpretation of entrepreneurism, he's more like a serial entrepreneur, right? You're a, you're a willing participant, but your dad's like always looking for things to do and, and taking it to the next level, right? And you yeah. still get to dive in and be corporate, right? And work in your spreadsheets, right? Yeah, I love spreadsheets. You love, everybody loves a good spreadsheet, right, Joe? Uh, it depends on the person, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, I mean, you've had an amazing journey in regards to like corporate going into like your dad convinced you on home brewing to then 
creating something that could go there, but then having the vision to scale it for distribution. <clears throat> Through that process, like who have you become? Like how, how have you changed as a person based on going from those experiences and that progress? Like what have you seen in the changes in who you are? Well, <clears throat> my role has changed dramatically uh, over uh, the last eight years. You know, I was, when we first started, I mean, it was all hands on deck and I do mean literally the brew deck. I, we, I, I would spend time in production, um, making, uh, making beer, packaging beer, cleaning floors, whatever we needed to do to um, keep the ball rolling. And as our company has matured, my role has matured with it. I'm, I'm affectionately known as a carpet walker now. So I, I, I spend no time on the concrete production floor. I spend the vast majority of my time in the carpeted area upstairs doing things like sales and marketing and, um, you know, business strategy as opposed to um, working on the nuts and bolts of the business. Now, part of that role for you, right, that the sales side, the social side, and I've had the opportunity to get to know you a little bit socially, but that also fits you too, right? So getting out into the field, like talk about that, like, cause growth of, 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 an, of a business, right? There's one thing that just, Hey, we, we make beer and we, and we have a, a local brewery, but you get out into the community. You do things in the community. Let's talk about that a little bit. Like how's that outreach work for you? And like, how much do you enjoy that side of it? Well, that's something that um, has not come naturally to me. And it's something that I've worked really hard on because I, um, I, I absolutely see how important that is to the growth of our company, um, being that figurehead, um, being somebody that uh, people can talk to and relate to, um, whether they're in our own tasting room or out in the market. Um, we try to make sure that um, we are constantly telling our story and I'm constantly um, kind of acting as a megaphone for our brand. Um, and, you know, I'm a natural introvert. So that, that, that didn't, that was never comfortable for me at the very beginning, but I, I knew how important it was. Um, so you just dive in and keep doing it and you get a little better uh every day so you know at this point we're we're doing a lot of um videos to kind of give behind the scenes looks at at what we're doing so that people who can't come to the brewery itself can still feel like they're a part of the experience um we're doing a lot of uh product demonstrations even virtually um even now, two and a half years after the, the start of COVID, we've got a pretty big virtual presence and we found that to be helpful uh, to achieve better pull through even at our grocery outlets. Um, people have an opportunity to interact with us um, even when they're not experiencing our product. And that kind of creates some stickiness um, when people do go to that grocery store, which is, which is great. You brought up something that I think is amazing, Chris, is uh, one... I think it's two things that entrepreneurs kind of miss or they find out later in the journey is that like one, there are going to be things that I have to do that are very uncomfortable and I have to get through my own safety, uncomfortableness and become that figurehead, right? That like there are certain things that you've got to realize that 
I am the most capable and it has to be me that does it. And there's other things I can leverage out with people, but someone's got to own that space. And a lot of entrepreneurs refuse to either lean into that or they hire the wrong person because they're avoiding that like uncomfortable growth. So I think that's like a huge pinpoint for this, this episode to really say like, what are the things you're avoiding? And instead of like avoiding them, just go headlong into it. And I think the other piece is, and this usually comes from like a humbleness, like there's been a big thing in my world of like telling your story that you've got to be truly authentic to who you are, vulnerable, and then also share your successes. And you just hit the nail on the head of, hey, I'm going to go out there and be public facing because it has to be me. And then I also have to tell a story that's compelling that differentiates me in the market. Uh, and I think every entrepreneur has to do those two things because no one's going to care about it more than you. And then there's an authentic story behind that that differentiates you from any other competition. So given that, I just I think if the listeners today need to hear that piece, that that is actually the growth and the organic thing to get true like followers in an entrepreneur setting. What is your story then? Like if you go and I said, hey, what's different about your brew that I need to know that why I should support you? Right. So we always say that that um, beer is our product, but it's not who we are. Um, so for us, um, our story goes back to our name. So Old Ox Brewery is named after Old Ox Road, which is one of the oldest roads in Loudoun County. And the road was built to connect the agricultural communities in Loudoun County with the markets in Fairfax and, and Washington, D.C. And it was that, that sense of connection that really that we really identified with, with that name, because we see ourselves as a connection point within our community. Um, whether that's connecting people together uh, over a beer in our tasting rooms or their favorite restaurants, uh, whether that's connecting um, like-minded businesses together through collaboration projects, through exposing people to new uh, food trucks in our in our tasting room or exposing people to new complimentary services like crumble cookies out of Leesburg that we do beer and food pairings with um, or whether that's connecting sounds people. dangerous I know oh my gosh it's so good. dangerous on the waistline <laughs> yeah oh it's you know that's something that you really have to be careful of in this industry is uh, making sure you're not uh, over treating yourself um, but um, or uh, connecting people to uh, to fantastic local causes within their commu community that maybe they don't even know about. Um, we truly believe that our community um, that's been so good to us is who we need to then uh, continue focusing on as we move forward. Um, and so we're constantly looking for new uh, partnerships. We're constantly looking for new um charitable community partners uh, and we're constantly looking for better ways to serve uh, our community that has uh, has been so so good to us and that's kind of our story that's who we are and i i love that and, and chris there's so much parallels regardless of industry but businesses go through the same things right we talk about storytelling and journeys and growth and i have seen you right we use a term called shift and we're entering a shifting market on the real estate side, but you had to suffer a shift during the COVID time, but now I'm seeing you shift again. So talk about what it was like for you to shift and what you did 
right? And then what that allows you to do coming out of it, because you're shifting again. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to use the word pivot. I'm not going to use the word pivot. I'm not going to use the word we pivot. Shift. We shift. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think, I think basically every business in the world had to shift in one way or another to get through the last going on two and a half years. Um, and for a consumer focused business like a brewery, um, you know, when we think back to March, mid March of 2020, uh, two thirds of our business was shut off overnight. Uh, our, our, we were forced to close our tasting rooms. Uh, every single restaurant partner that we had spent the last uh, six and a half years uh, cultivating relationships with was closed down overnight. Uh, and the, really the only vehicle, uh, only business line we had left was uh, package product to, uh, uh, to grocery stores. So which, let me pause you for a second, because which is interesting, because that was your original focus, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And one of the reasons that was our original focus is because there's a higher barrier to entry um, to get into grocery stores. So while that makes it difficult uh, up front, um, once you're in, you have fewer competitors. So we knew it was going to be difficult to do that, but we wanted to do that because we saw um, the opportunity uh, once we overcame that hurdle, that barrier to entry. Um, so that was fortunate that we did have um, packaged product because a lot of breweries, especially small craft breweries, uh, which we have 40 of in uh, Loudoun County alone, um, were making the majority of their revenue selling pints over the bar. Um, you know, they weren't focused on packaged product. They were focused on, you know, the high margin uh, pints that they would sell over their tasting room bars. Um, so we, we did have uh, a little bit of a, a head start over some of the other um, local competition uh, just because we have, we, we're already doing this. We were already providing packaged beer out to the market. So that, that was a, a saving grace for sure. Um, but even still, I mean, I think we, we overnight we were down, you know, 75% as far as, volume. Um, and that's not a comfortable feeling. So we, um, we absolutely used it as an opportunity to distill this business down to its essence. What, what is most important to us and what is simply a distraction right now? Um, and we, we got right down to it, we figured out how to maximize our package beer operations. Um, at the same time, we saw a need in our community uh, for hand sanitizer products. So within six weeks of the uh, having to close down our tasting rooms, we had applied for FDA licensure to produce hand sanitizer figured out a recipe to produce that hand sanitizer, sourced all new ingredients and packaging for that hand sanitizer, and had produced our, our first run. 
which was a monumental feat and one that I'm very, very proud of uh, to go from zero to new business line in about eight weeks. Um, and one that was, you know, it, it really did help um, our community. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of that. As you should um, be. Then, I mean, everything that you went through, right, could have crumpled a lot of people. And it did. For, for no other reason other than they, they just couldn't, right? Right. But you were able to adapt. You stripped your business down to the, to the minimums, right? You remarginged your finances and you focused on what were your drivers. And then yep. you adapted and found another revenue stream in a very short period of time. So there is nothing to minimize about that. Yeah, it's an incredible pivot. <laughs> you, you said it. Oh. <laughs> I know. I know everyone's so sick of it, so sick of pivoting. But, um, but yeah, we were certainly driven by fear. <laughs> I mean, who wasn't scared uh, back then? Um, but we were also driven with, you know, a sense of optimism that, you know, we could, we could do something that would make a difference. Um, we had, you know, the infrastructure in place to take advantage of that. Um, and we believed in ourselves enough to, to make it happen. So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, man, I don't think I slept for, I don't know, two months, but, um, and you were, and you were doing personal deliveries a lot of times too, right? Yeah. Well, the, so I don't think that regulatory bodies like uh, Virginia ABC or, uh, or FDA or, uh, you know, the Federal Tax and Trade Bureau get a lot of credit for being nimble. Um, you know, these are, these are, you know, huge submarines that can't make a U-turn on a dime, right? Um, but these regulatory bodies um, enacted changes at a speed that we have never seen before to allow us new ways to get product to our customers. So within a few weeks of, um, you know, the mandatory lockdown, the state of Virginia enabled breweries, wineries, distilleries, restaurants to do curbside delivery, curbside pickup and home delivery. Um, which was a huge boon for for us getting through uh, the summer months of, of 2020. Um, we did more um, home delivery business than we um, than we did tasting room business the previous year. So I mean it was I mean it was an amazing feat uh, to be able to offer those services to our to our customers and our customers wanted to support their local business. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was fantastic to be able to offer the service, but it meant a lot that people wanted to take advantage of it. Well, I think it says a lot about you know, the credibility and the community that you build up and came up within, right? Because that's, that's how those things are paid back. Now, shifting out of that now, like you had a couple of things happen. You grew out of that too, right? So you had, a, you added a location and then now you're doing something different. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So we actually opened our doors on our second location, which is in Middleburg, Virginia, um, right before the pandemic hit. So we, um, we opened in 
I guess, July of 2019. Uh, we're just getting our, our feet under us in that location and then close the doors. So, um, that was, that was no fun, but, um, uh, but that small town feel is what we grew up with and why we really identified with the town of, of Middleburg. Um, it's a great little community filled with people who are really passionate about where they live. Um, and, and kind of making sure that they support their, their own community. Um, and we fell in love with it immediately. And that, that certainly hasn't uh, changed. So we've, um, we're going on, it'll be our third year, I guess, in, uh, in July out in Middleburg. And we, uh, we love it. Um, but then also, uh, post pandemic, as we, as we look for growth opportunities, with uh, within the beverage industry, we've made some incredibly significant changes um, to our business. So, um, you know, it's no secret that uh, while this has been an awesome family-run business with uh, myself and and both of my parents being the the operating partners within the business. Um, they're getting to the point where they're ready to retire. They're, you know, early seventies looking to drink some Mai Tais on the beach instead of coming into the office every day. Um, and we were looking for uh, growth opportunities to continue our uh, business expansion. Um, so we found uh, another brewery based out of uh, Silver Spring, Maryland called Silver Branch Brewing Company. Uh, and we have worked out uh, an arrangement to merge our two companies together, which is really exciting. Um, we have very similar viewpoints on how um, uh, kind of business philosophies, I should say. Um, however, our, our businesses are distinct. Um, they are very uh, tasting room focused. So... Um, the vast majority of the beer that they produce uh, goes right out the front door as we're very distribution focused. Um, and we've got a real opportunity to kind of leverage each other's strengths to create one company that, uh, that is even stronger than the sum of its parts. And we're really excited about that. We get to you know, leverage each other's um, uh, personal expertise. Um, we get to give uh, my parents an opportunity to um, slowly transition out of the day-to-day -day operations of the business, um, and we get to um, grow, uh, which is the, the whole thing, right? Keep growing. Expand, right? Expand, yeah. So now we'll have three tasting room locations and a, a much uh, stronger and wider distribution footprint for uh, for our product out in the market, which we're really excited about. And then the, uh, the other thing that we're doing um, kind of in tandem with this is we're actually expanding our licensing. We are, um, we are uh, actually, we just last week received approval on our uh, federal distillery license. So we will be um, adding distilled spirits to our portfolio of products, which I am extremely excited about. As am I. So, 
Chris, just because I think like you've got a lot of amazing stories of growth and accomplishment and there's obviously a bunch of failure in there, but no one really likes to hear about that because it's like, <laughs> we all <laughs> that's life, right? Um, so I heard a lot of, when we look at entrepreneurial impact and the things that starting a business from the ground actually allows, I heard one that you got freedom of time back, like for your family to be able to be there for precious moments. I heard the connection of community through just the, the story of how you got to the name of old ox and the road and the connection from agriculture to the city for distribution. I heard uh, finding a niche that gave you a lot of passion and being able to take, you know, something that your father had kind of like passed on to you as something that was passionate for him and you kind of ran it. And then you were able to include your parents in that. And then the, the opportunity you've created also allows you the ability now to grow and, and expand larger, but also allowing your parents now to transition to a part of their life where they could sit on the beach and now you've got the financial means because of the growth to go find a recruit, I'm sorry, recruit and attract talent to run those situations and to be able to get to where you are today. What other, you know, I, that's just from your story, just kind of full encompasses for the, for the episode. What, is there any other entrepreneurial impact that you've been able to have in your life, community, family, that because you chose the non-corporate route you were able to achieve? Wow, I think you've done a really good job of uh, of distilling down what uh, kind of the essence of our decision making process. Um, I see uh, what you did there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, you know, I I just in in general, I think it has um, it has changed the way that I think. It's changed the way it, it, that I that I live. Um, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I think I'm a, a, a more well-rounded person as a result of this entrepreneurial journey. I, I, I've certainly learned to handle, uh, stress. <laughs> I've, uh, made perhaps better than I, uh, had, um, before I've, um, learned to, um, rethink about um, success and kind of rethink how I view failure. Um, and I, I just think it's um, in general just uh, made me um, kind of a, a more well-rounded person. You know, it's, um, you know, you look back after eight years and, and you think to yourself, wow, I don't even, I don't even know how we accomplished this. Like you, ha you can't. <laughs> like if I had, I, if I had to just to try to map out this journey um, from day one, I, man, I, I never would have seen this happen the way that it did. You know, I mean, my my business plan, while while the overarching um, pieces of it are are pretty pretty well intact. You know, we 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 basically marched at a high level to to you know, the plan that we set out, I mean, boy, it has been a, uh, a winding road to, to get there. It's, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, I don't even know if I answered your question, but, uh, but there it is. I, I just think that everybody's journey is different. I think that like, I think for everybody listening is just understanding that people's story and how they started small businesses and the, and the trials, tribulations, and then successes. And then there's also always the thing that we never really give credit to is luck and I just wanted, as we kind of wrap up here, just to say, like, for those listening, that if you heard Chris's story and what he built, it was a passion. It was a lot of family, close-knit people. 
and that there was a lot of grit and grind. Uh, but because of that, it's afforded you a lot of other things you never thought you would have, but also a lot of things that people that are in corporate don't have the luxuries to have. So that's true. Well, and I can't imagine, I'm going to speak out of turn, that you would have that fantastic beard in corporate America. No, that's uh, absolutely uh, correct. Uh, my uh, my banker, who has become a, a good friend of mine uh, over the last uh, eight years, um, still reminds me of the day that I, I first walked into his office with a with a suit and tie on and clean shaven and shiny and you know grabbing the world by the coattails. And uh, he's like, "If you hey, man, you should see a before and after picture." It's like they say. Well, you know, that, here's uh, what we're gonna have to do. <laughs> You're going to have to send me one, and what we'll do is we'll put it up on, on the, 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 record, the video version of this podcast. So for everybody listening on, on Spotify or Apple, you're going to have to go over to the YouTube channel so we could put a before and after photo of Mr. Burns here. I like it. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Well, awesome. Well, Joe, why, why don't you wrap us up? Well, I think the biggest part to understand is the entrepreneurial impact was the fact that Chris was able to get a beard in his life. Um, no, I just want to say thanks, Chris, for the time today. I think this is one, again, just telling our story about how uh, amazing entrepreneurism can do for people and also our communities. And like true change comes from somebody having a vision and taking the risk to go out and do something because there's a value gap in the community and the world that we live in. And I'm just a firm believer of that. And your story on the ground level has just been amazing to hear today. I just want to say thank you for the time. And, uh, this is Dave and Joe with Entrepreneurial Impact. We'll be around next week and just, you know, another great story about how entrepreneurism really impacts the lives of others in our world.